Southern Gathering of Nations. Everyone, this is the place to be. Hi everyone, this is Ava Putnam, and welcome to the ninth episode of Homegrown. That last clip you just heard is a traditional Native American hand drum song performed by the Gatherings of Nations powwow featuring the Wasquich family. My guest today, Alyssa Verweeby, picked this song out for me to use. She likes this song because it's all about how Native Americans need to keep their culture throughout generations something she sees as very important to her community and to who she is. Alyssa is a 17-year-old Native American woman, a part of the Anishinaabe tribe. Um, so that is how you introduce yourself in my language. Um, I said, hi, my name is Alyssa. Uh, I am from Bay Mills, Michigan. I'm part of the Bay Mills Indian community, and I am Turtle Clan. As you just heard in the Anishinaabe language, Alyssa lives in Michigan and is Turtle Clan. She will get more into what that means to her culture and to who she is a little later. But before she does, I think it's important to lay some framework for the discussion. Since the arrival of European colonists in North America, Native American people have been subjected to hundreds of years of genocide, conversion, and displacement. When Christopher Columbus arrived in the 1400s, on his first days there, he ordered some Native Americans to be his servants. This action set the tone for how Native Americans would be treated in the U.S. for centuries. Native Americans were forced to move from their communities onto reservations, which often get sugar-coated as being a helpful rearrangement in history books, which we will also get into and Native people were forced into conversion camps in an attempt to whiten them. Again, Alyssa and I will dive deeper into these topics and how they have affected Native American tribes. I also want to mention that a few times in this episode, Alyssa refers to her race and her ethnicity. I think it's important to understand that Alyssa's racial identification is Native American. However, her ethnicity is specific to her tribe, Anishinaabe. This is also the first episode of Homegrown recorded virtually, so if you hear any fluctuation in sound or any words fall off, I apologize and I hope you can still enjoy the episode. So welcome to Homegrown.
Ava. Hey, Alyssa. How are you? Pretty good. Okay, so I'm recording on Zoom, but mm -hmm. have your phone available. Could you just mm -hmm. record on voice memos just to, in, in case anything happens, just to have that? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay, yeah. So can you first just kind of talk about like who you are and where you're from and that your Native American heritage and, and just kind of your story in regards to that? Yeah, um, I'm Alyssa Verweeby, 17. Uh, I'm originally from Michigan, but I've lived in 12 states. Uh, went to boarding school in Wisconsin and Colorado. Um, I've lived on five or six different reservations across the country. Uh, I grew up in a family with just my dad, but my mom and my dad are both Native. And um, he grew up in a household where it wasn't okay to be Native because my great grandma and her siblings were all kidnapped and put into the orphanage system created for Native American children, uh, like the conversion orphanages. And so they were taught to act white, be white. And so then my grandma was taught act white, be white. And so then my grandma taught my dad to act white, be white. And I was the first generation where our culture was really instilled to be proud of who we are. And so that's what my dad's taught me my whole life is be proud of who you are and represent yourself with your tribe and be proud of your heritage. That's, uh, that was my life basically was just growing up learning traditional um, teachings. I went to like different camps with elders when I was younger and I went to different I, did, I never lived on my own reservation, but I've lived on other reservations and seen other other tribes and other cultures and really dug deep into just Native American heritage in general and learned a lot about different activisms, things like that. Like I lived in North Dakota when the DAPL protests were happening against the Dakota Access Pipeline. Before Alyssa continues, I want to jump in and give a little bit of background on the Dakota Access Pipeline protests. In 2015 and 16, a plan was approved to build the Dakota Access Oil Pipeline, which would have crossed over North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, and Illinois, and would run under the Missouri River. However, the U.S. government failed to consult with members of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, despite that the pipeline's route would go right through their reservation and through a section of their water supply. A possible contamination of the tribe's water supply and destruction of culturally important sites was a major concern of the Sioux. Protests soon erupted in an attempt to shut construction down, and some of these protests turned violent. Those protests were the biggest gatherings of um, Native American peoples in the country. And so I got to see all that and experience that, which was really great and amazing to see all those people come together, like my people come together. I've also, uh, I've been traditionally dancing my, since I was younger. I'm a fancy shawl dancer competitively. So in the summers I go to powwows or in my language we call them and which is just a large celebration where everyone comes together and has a good time and we sing songs and dance and eat food and um so yeah <laughs> you kind of mentioned like your native american roots is it hard to stay 
connected to them even while living on a reservation or did you find it pretty um, immersive? On the reservation, it's a lot easier because everyone around you, whether or not, whether it's your tribe's reservation or not, it's easier to stay in touch with just like traditions because everyone around you understands everyone around you is um, trying to do the same thing for the most part, other than like reservations struggle a lot with addiction and uh, poverty. And so there's those, those big concerns and that's why a lot of people are losing touch with their culture, I guess, is because the reservations are almost a sinkhole of like just poverty. But it is easier being there, being around your people to hold to hold true to who you are and your traditional teachings more so than like living off the reservation or living at a boarding school or something where people are more ignorant and naive to the culture and which just makes it a whole lot harder to, I guess, stay in touch with your roots. Does your Native American culture ever conflict with the general U.S. culture or in the culture where you, the other towns where you've lived in? Um, I guess some of my traditional teachings, in a sense, um, traditionally, I, like, we consider it uh, our moon time because our moon is the grandmother moon. And so on your menstrual cycle, you're supposed to avoid doing certain activities. Uh, I, in my tribe, I'm supposed to avoid men completely. And being at a boarding school that got very hard, I had to... I had to make some changes on my activities because schools wouldn't allow me to completely follow through with what I'd like to do and what I would traditionally do. Um, there were also different like uh, medicinal practices using SEMA or tobacco in English that I had to stop. Just different things like that where like your traditional like rules at a school for this group of students uh, would conflict with my culture and um, then I wouldn't be able to practice certain things just because of where I was. Do you think that the school's not letting you kind of follow through with those practices comes from ignorance to Native American culture or more so a disregard for it? I think a bit of both. Um, I think there's ignorance in all of it with just not fully allowing things. For example, I remember at a school, at Wayland, the school I was at uh, for freshman, sophomore year, Muslim kids were given opportunity to break dress code so that they could not shave for cultural practices, which is totally understandable and acceptable, saying that that is their culture and that is what they would normally do. But that is a lot more, I guess, mainstream of a culture, a lot more people recognize Islam and being Muslim um, on a day-to-day -day basis than they do Native Americans. A lot of people don't, some people I've met don't even know that Native Americans exist today. They thought that the different cultures were completely just figments of people's imagination and that were they were formed out of creativity, not that they these were actual people and that the mass genocide that happened in the creation of this country was all just fake. And so I think it definitely roots from ignorance, but also just the disregard of like, oh, they can give that up because they're here is due to that ignorance of um, not understanding the true like meaning or importance of those cultural practices.
speaking on generalizations, there's a lot of talk about how the continent of Africa gets generalized as kind of a singular continent. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that that uh, resonates a lot with different Native American cultures? Oh, 100%. Uh, a lot of people think, I'll use that as an example, Africa. So African describes people who live in Africa, but you cannot compare someone from one country to another because they're so different. Just as Native American does describe the people who are indigenous to this land, but my tribe, Anishinaabe, is very different from those of like an Apache or a Cree nation uh, tribal person. We Our traditions are very different, and the, although some may collide like there are also very different practices and very different languages like Navajo um, is such a hard and much different language than the language that I speak in Anishinaabemowin and so I think there are a lot of harsh generalizations there which also are applied to like more than just the idea of native like like this small concept of Native Americans but a larger scale to -to day-to-day actions I actually this past year I was working in the garden at my school with um, an older woman. Well, she wasn't that much older. She was a middle-aged white woman, but she grew up in a white town surrounded by only white people and not a lot of contact with minority peoples. And so she lived in this bubble of ignorance, as is just growing up there, which isn't her fault, but she told me one day that she didn't believe I was Native American because I did not fit her preconceived notion of what Native American was. And she had only ever met two Native American people in her life, me and another girl who had gone to the school. And the difference between me and that other girl was just our skin tones. I'm a lot more pale than a lot of what a lot of people would think as as Native American whereas that girl she was very brown so she fit that woman's idea of oh that girl's Native American because she has brown skin whereas this girl isn't because she doesn't have brown skin and so I think a lot of those generalizations are they're a lot more prominent than a lot of people might think. Have you ever felt targeted or experienced prejudice because of your race or ethnicity? Um, definitely, yeah. I, the town I live in now, the people around here are either usually white or Native American, and this is actually where I've heard some of the most racist comments or had some of the most, like, I guess, ignorant experiences with other people. I was at a family friend's, one of my dad's friend's house. He's an older man from the area. He's white, but his ex-wife was Native, and so he has Native children. But he's still very racist, very ignorant. And I went over to his house, and I was eating lunch at the table, and he had three guests over. And um, they, they told me that I was wrong for having liberal and progressive beliefs. And then moving forward from that, they told me that my people ask for too much in life, that Native Americans are given too much from the government. And that in itself is this stereotype that's not true. Like, I personally don't receive any government money for my blood quantum that counts me as Native American. My dad doesn't. Um, 
there are tribes that do exist that do give their members money, but those are those tribes, and that is tribal money, money and tribal funding. It's not directly, oh, here's a check from the government for you being Native American. Um, but he did, he did say some other things, and which were really racist, and I don't even think he realized what he was saying and how wrong they were. But he basically told me that being Native American doesn't make you special and that my people ask for too much in life and that we need, as, as a collective group of Native Americans, we need to get over ourselves and forget about this history of the mass genocide that happened to our ancestors years and years ago. And then following that, there was the conversion schools. In broad terms of forgetting, there are people who are still alive who were sent to conversion schools and orphanages. So that's not even, those weren't outlawed until 1970s, which is within our generations here that are still alive. A lot of people overlook things like that. A lot of people don't understand and a lot of people don't believe that those things ever existed, but they did. (laughs) And that's, that is the reality that a lot of Native Americans live in today. That history, that intense, horrible history of Native American population in general, what, how does that make you feel about being Native American? Um, personally, I feel like that gives me reason to be proud of who I am and to really hold true with my bloodline and my heritage and remember and honor my ancestors even more so because they fought for me to be here. They fought for me to be able to express who I am and to go to powwows and to practice traditional medicine and practice the teachings that my elders teach me and speak my language because they went through horrible, horrible things like almost being enslaved and refusing to, um, those who did survive the killings and those who survived the relocation era where the U.S. government was taking natives from their homelands and putting them on their reservations. They survived those trips. They survived the the conversion schools, which they, that killed some Native Americans with the attempt to make them white and fit the cultural I guess, parameters that the white Americans are setting for Native Americans. So when I think of that and I think of that history, it gives me a reason to not only be proud of who I am, but to stand up for what I believe in. Because until until people are treated fairly, which I think this can apply to a lot of things right now, but until people are truly treated fairly and truly treated as people, there is still a reason to stand for what you believe in and stand for that equality, which I think not only Native Americans, but a lot of other minorities aren't getting, but Native Americans, especially with our reservations are supposed to be sovereign nations. And sovereignty is similar to freedom. 
and those nations are na these nations our nations are not receiving that which was signed and there are all kinds of treaties signed and agreed to by the US government that have slowly 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 started actually being fulfilled but we're not there yet um, these tribal governments not all of them are fully sovereign yet and that is what was agreed to and I think until the agreements are being fulfilled there is still something to stand up for and thinking about my heritage makes me want to be someone who is standing up for that because I don't want the fight that my ancestors went through and like given my great-grandma and my grandma um, what they had to go through growing up I don't want that to be, I guess, worthless. They didn't do that so that I could be here and not continue fighting for uh, my people and their freedoms and our voices. When speaking about the history, I think we generally learn about it in school in, a, again, a very generalized manner. Mm -hmm. So could you talk about how that history has affected your specific tribe? My people were originally from the Eastern Seaboard, which is, when you look at the map, just the, about as far east as you can go. But when colonizers started coming and colonizing the area, they migrated down around the Lake Great Lakes and up to where I live now in Michigan. And Anishinaabe people were actually were traditional healers and so Anishinaabe tribes are there's small little plots across the country of either like there's an Ojibwe Cree tribe in Montana but like small little plots of my people's um, medicine work showing itself within these groups of Anishinaabe showing on maps and you look at tribal maps but um, specifically my tribe is in Bay Mills um, that history just affected this area with, uh, there were census uh, people going through and marking this person's Indian, this person's not. This basically was their goal at the end of the day was to keep track of, um, keep track of the Indians, I guess. Like that was what they wanted to do. And um, then with the boarding schools and the orphanages, my, specifically my family was um, brought into those, but, um, with that, uh, I think those were all pretty much across all the tribes, and um, my tribe specifically didn't go through anything like the Wounded Knee Battle or anything like that, but a big thing with not just my tribe, and not, but multiple tribes across the Midwest area, there were the Fishing Rights Treaties, um, which were battles, like, not battles, but... Um, there were a lot of protests and arguments and fights through like the late 90s about fishing rights because <clears throat> a lot of white people in the area were upset that um, Native American people got to fish on different times, different lakes, got to catch more fish or catch less fish or catch different types of fish than they did, which the only reason those that was allowed was because there were treaties signed by the U.S. government and these tribes saying, um, as tribal people, you guys can do this because this is a part of your culture, this is part of your tradition, this is, this is what you want, and so we're going to give it to you because now you can live your lives how you would normally. 
and a lot of people were upset about that and so um my tribe and a lot of other sister tribes in the area and just um a lot of other tribes were going through those battles in the late 90s um just with the fishing rights and so yeah that's that's what i can think of for specifically with my people and my area given that uh the oppression and murder throughout u.s history of native americans um, there's been a, a lot of discussion about generational trauma and how that affects mm -hmm. um, current Native American populations. So what are your thoughts on that? Generational trauma and historical trauma are very real. You see these elders that I talk to and that I've seen in different families, like when they talk to you about what they experienced and what they went through it's really like you can see the pain in their eyes and you can hear it in their voice and I think that's really what like makes it so surreal for even my general gener generation thinking of this history like even though I personally didn't have to go through any of that I was never told you can't speak your language I I've had racist encounters and um, ignorant encounters with white people but I never had to go through something so harsh, but knowing of it and seeing how much pain that caused, knowing the truth of like what happened, um, it's, it still hurts. And it hurts to think that people don't believe that it happened or people don't know or that the history is being disregarded. And I think that's where a lot of this genera generational trauma roots from is just knowing all of it and seeing how it affects and then feeling those effects and being empathetic with those people and just feeling with them those family members and whatnot do you think that the general public of non-native americans truly sees the suffering that they have gone through and are going through not at all um the American school, the American education system doesn't do uh, Native history justice. When teaching U.S. history, most teachers and most curriculums don't include Native American history, which is why I think a lot of people in America are so ignorant, and not just white people, but so ignorant to the fact that Native Americans exist. Native Americans went through these things, like they're very real and they're very recent, and I think um, there are the portions of America that aren't Native American and do feel and do do research and do educate themselves. Um, but keywords there was they had to educate themselves. Not a lot of school systems teach kids that Native Americans are real. Um, one thing that uh, is another issue just because it's the racist and prejudice um, just meanings behind them, whether or not that's the intent, is there's a lot of mascots across the country, like the the Redskins, and um, that's that hurts to see, just see exist. Indians, not as bad, I, I would think, but it's still, uh, I don't like hearing people call um, my people Indians, just because of the meaning behind the word and where it came from. Indians are from India. <laughs> Um, and I think that's how it should be. And I don't think we should be calling Native American indigenous people Indians because um, that's what Christopher Columbus called us because he thought he was somewhere who he wasn't. And 
Um, Redskin is just another racist term. And I think uh, just as you would respect um, other minorities not calling them the names, those racist names that have history behind them, uh, our people should not be called those names. And I think that's something that's really real and a lot of people feel with. And I never realized it until I got older, but there's Disney movies like Peter Pan that horribly portray Native American peoples and we're letting little kids watch these movies and believe that is how it is. And I remember growing up, um, kids would do the thing with their hand over in their mouth and making that loud noise and running around calling themselves Indians because that's what they saw in the movies. And um, it seems innocent then, but if you don't teach the kids this is wrong, then they're never going to know the difference. And I think that is a lot of America not knowing that these things are wrong, both out of unintentional ignorance, but also uh, a lot, also out of prejudice, like own pre their own prejudice. Cultural appropriation. When someone outside of a certain culture adopts certain elements of that culture is something that has affected oppressed communities for centuries. Non-black people wearing historical and cultural African hairstyles or non-Japanese people wearing kimonos are a few examples of appropriation. However, the issue goes farther than just the commandeering of certain cultural elements. Many times, the hairstyle or clothing or cultural practice that is being appropriated is one that has been looked down upon and seen as inferior. However, historically we see that people who fit into societal norms, most commonly white people, when they wear these hairstyles or clothes and do these practices, suddenly that part of the appropriated culture is now seen as acceptable. A clear example of this would be the popularization and acceptance of white women wearing African hair braid styles, while black women are often seen as unprofessional or inferior for those hairstyles. Appropriation is something that largely affects Native Americans as well. To dive into this idea, I first asked Alyssa about what things in her culture she thinks can be appropriated. As for hairstyles, um, traditionally, men and women would braid their hair, grow it long, braid it. I think I don't think that's necessarily something that would be appropriated, but um, it was something that was taken away from young Native boys and girls during those conversion schools. They were a lot of a lot of well, the boys were forced to cut all of their hair off. The girls were either forced to cut portions of their hair off or to stop wearing it certain ways um, because those braids are traditional and that is what you're, how you're taught to braid your hair. Um, then as for clothing, um, there's the traditional attire, which is called regalia. Um, within that, there's also... Um, a lot of handmade jewelry, beadwork, uh, which you can you can find on keychains, earrings, all different kinds of clothing. But I think um, I've actually had this conversation with my dad a lot about trying to 
find the line between a cultural appropriation and a cultural appreciation of these things. I think that there are ways in which you can you can appreciate these things respectfully and not appropriate them. Let's say, for example, if I were to make a piece of beadwork and I were to give you that, you wearing that would be a sign of appreciation and not appropriation in my eyes. Whereas um, I saw on Urban Outfitters, I saw some different jewelry that was um, supposed beadwork and it was 100% appropriation. And um, there's a lot of, a big issue is that I've seen is Native American women are making this beadwork and there are white women who are stealing those traditional styles and things like that and they are making their own and then they're selling it as this authentic Native American jewelry and I that not only is appropriating the culture but it is belittling um my people those women who are making that beadwork and practicing a traditional beliefs is belittling them and is preventing them from truly being like successful because you're out here um, showing this off with your privileged self that this is authentic as and leaving behind the people who are actually authentically making things that they're traditionally taught culturally and preventing them from truly being successful with their businesses with that. Um, as for regalia, uh, so I mentioned earlier, I'm a traditional dancer, a competitive dancer. Um, my regalia is not something that uh, I think any white person should wear. The traditional regalia, um, they all have meanings behind them. Um, a jingle dress dancer, for example, they are healers. They dance to pray, to heal. Um, when I dance, I'm not dancing to heal, but I have my all my dances are prayers. And... Um, then there are men's dancers, uh, they're doll dancing for prayers too. And I think if you were to, if someone who is not Native American were to take any of this regalia, which also includes headdresses, my, my tribe doesn't specifically wear headdresses, but other tribes do. And wearing those is all appropriation in my eyes. And it's completely inappropriate and disrespectful to the cultures. So how do you think you feel if say on Halloween you saw someone you know dressed up as a Native American um it's actually an issue I post about on social media every year because I think that that's like it's it's disgusting behavior in my eyes it's it's sad and it's disgusting because I see that and I think like it's sad that little kids are watching like on Halloween little kids are watching people dress up like that or they are dressing up like that and they think that it's okay and they think that they aren't hurting anyone but in these portrayals of like these people like it's horrible and it's stereotypical and it's just further on pushing those stereotypes and those wrong mentalities of my people and other Native American peoples and I see you see you see a lot of women dress up as like oh a slutty nurse or something like that for Halloween and for fun and I've seen women dress up as a slutty Pocahontas is what the costumes would be. And I think not only is that like disrespectful, it's just like, that's just gross. Like looking at that, it's, 
you're not only taking something away from us, but you're then generalizing it and stereotyping it to fit what your idea of an Indian is, but then you're also changing it even further to portray it in um, an inappropriate manner. And uh, I just, like, every time I see that, I just think that's sad, and I think it's really oppressive and horrible. You mentioned that you find it oppressive. Do you think those types of appropriation are continuing white oppression? Yeah, I think um, that a lot of the actions today, both by U.S. government and just U.S. citizens, are continuing the oppression of Native Americans within um, withholding these uh, stereotypes, withholding these, um, I guess, prejudices with this system of broken education that does not teach about Native Americans. I think all of that together just fits into this um, mentality of habitual oppression that America has built up since the beginning against Native Americans. Do you think that if history were to be taught more purposefully and more accurately surrounding how Native Americans were treated and who they are, do you think that appropriation would not happen or do you think that it would? I think it could definitely diminish a portion of it. Of course, it's still going to happen because there are still racist people no matter what you teach them. Um, because those, those mindsets are taught in the household. And so those households will always exist because those people will always exist and that is okay because everyone is free to believe whatever they want. And so those people can believe that and those people can do those things because I guess they have the right to. But I think with proper, like installing a proper educational system that includes um, Native American history within the U.S. history curriculum would most definitely change some things because now all of these kids who go into school thinking that Native Americans are just like this on Peter Pan or whatever other cartoon or TV show that they watch that was horribly portrayed um, Indigenous peoples will now get some understanding or some better knowledge of Native Americans and Native American history. Do you feel like Native American issues and culture and history um, get swept under the rug in this country? A hundred percent. I think um, a lot of things are just disregarded. A lot of things don't make the media. There were, um, there's a movement, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women movement uh, and the Stop Our Stolen, like Save Our Stolen Sisters because there are thousands and thousands of Native American women every year who are found to be missing or murdered and have a lot of them have gone through sexual violence when they're found. And it's a huge issue. It's a huge problem. I was actually, before I went to boarding school, I had to pray with someone because that was supposed to be my protection and my just, I guess, warning and knowledge of the fact that 
a lot of Native American women do go missing when they leave home, and a lot of them go missing when they're on the reservation. But um, it's sad to see that none of that gets media coverage. That only gets media coverage by Native Americans or Native American activists um, or allies of the Native American community and the Native American activists who decide to share that media. Other than that, that's not something that you would normally see on your um, ABC News or NBC News or something like that. And speaking on sexual violence from like research in the past few years, half of Native women have been assaulted and they're 2.5 times more likely to than a white woman. And also 96% of the assaults happen from non-Indian people. So mm -hmm. any yeah as to why that might be? Um, I know that uh, when the relocation area was happening and a lot of white people were coming into these tribal areas and telling them to move, a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of white men did kidnap or rape Native American women and it happened all over the country with all different types of tribes. And there were some times when it didn't happen. There were the good white men and there were the good men who did not do that. And there were men, white men or women who married into tribes and it was okay because that is like acceptable. But there was a lot of murder and rape happening then. And I think that's just something that hasn't been stopped by the justice system. I think when things are properly, when laws are enforced, uh, I think that would diminish a lot of it, but a lot of the missing and murdered indigenous women, these cases aren't being looked into. A lot of these women are facing these challenges and they're not getting the justice they deserve. And I think that is something that definitely pushes the mentality that this can keep happening or will keep happening because none of these, not none, but a lot of these women aren't getting the justice they deserve. I watched a movie that was based on a true story and it was this Native American woman who was kidnapped and the police never went looking for her. It was family members and other tribal members who went looking for her and she was kidnapped by three it was two or three white men and she was raped by all of them and they tried to kill her but they didn't but she never received any help from the authorities and neither did her family and so that is something she had to go through independently and her family was the only one to take care of her and I think that's something that happens a lot around the country. I think as we move on um, it's not necessarily getting better either. Uh, I know of one or two women from local tribes here who've gone missing and haven't been found and don't have necessarily police looking for them. Native American woman, do you feel invisible in this country? 
100%. I think, um, I think I talked about a lot, but they're, with all the issues that are being brushed under the rug, so are Native American peoples. We are actually the smallest minority in the country, which is sad to think that we are the indigenous peoples of this land and we are the smallest minority. We're the most impoverished. We face the highest suicide rates, the highest drug rates and OD rates in the country. Um, and I feel like no one looks at that and no one necessarily looks at me or any other Native American men or women and thinks anything of it. Like, um, they're just more brown people or um, more minorities to brush under the rug. And I, that's almost how I've always felt just being Native American because every time I talk about it with someone or every time my ethnicity or heritage gets brought up, people are like, oh my God, you're Native American, that's so cool. Or, oh my God, I didn't even know that existed. Or, oh my God, you don't look Native. Oh my God, can I touch your hair? Can you talk to God for me? Can you, can you sense the vibe from the trees? Like, I do feel like invisible in today's society as a Native American woman. Before we wrap up, mm -hmm. I asked you to bring a song. Could you explain why you chose that song? Uh, that song that I picked, a hand drum song, is um, those are sang usually by yourself or a small group. And it, by hand drum, it's literally a hand drum. And the singing is a lot different of a tempo than your, what you would usually hear to powwow. And usually those songs are to really express your emotions a lot more. The song I picked was about keeping your culture and through the generations. And I think that's something that a lot of people or a lot of Native American people need to keep in mind is that we need to, we need to keep our culture. A lot of my generation, our generation, younger um, people in these tribes are forgetting about nutritional teachings. They're ignoring them. They're not taking the time to learn them. And with that, the, this, white colonization that came through and wanted to convert our nations into white citizens, quote unquote, um, will be successful if my generation decides to lose that. And so that song to me represents what I need to do as a young Native American woman and Native American activist is I need to encourage other young Native Americans to stay in with their culture and to keep learning and to keep practicing and to keep speaking our language and to keep going to powwows and to keep practicing traditional medicine and to keep singing these songs. And um, that song just highlights something really important. You heard this song at the beginning of the episode, but when you hear it now, I urge you to listen with intention. Try to hear the culture, the history, and the pain that is sung, and try to think about it with all the things Alyssa has just said, and your role as a human in a world with Native American oppression.
Before this episode ends, I want to replay a phrase that Alyssa spoke. I do feel like invisible in today's society as a Native American woman. I hope that this resonates with you as much as it did with me. I'm Ava Putnam, and thank you for listening to Homegrown. Homegrown.